Hello and welcome back to Branching Out College Admissions in the World It Inhabits. I am Jeremy Branch, Senior Assistant Director of Enrollment Management at Penn State's Brandywine Campus and the President-Elect of the Pennsylvania Association for College Admission Counseling. Today's podcast centers around balancing graduate school with your job in college admission counseling. Is it doable? We will ask that question to Catherine Souza of Archmere Academy and Ryan Janos of Villanova University. When did they decide to pursue graduate school? How do you balance work with additional schooling? And what do they wish they knew before enrolling in their programs? We're going to talk about all of that. Towards the end of our conversation, we also touch on the challenge of counseling students in the wake of COVID-19. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you enjoy. So this episode is entitled Balancing Grad School and Counseling. Is it doable? And one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss this topic is because every counselor, by the time they reach their third year in admission, they get this question. When are you going to pursue your master's degree? And it is a fair question because a master's degree is usually required for any administrative role at a college or university. Um, It's especially required in order to be a public school counselor. And even if your goal is to be a college counselor at a secondary school, whether public or private, it's thought highly of if an applicant has a graduate degree uh, at their side. So because of that, I wanted to sit down and talk on, on this podcast with two of my favorite people in all of the counseling world, uh, Catherine Souza and Ryan Janos. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. All right. So just as a, a way of introduction, uh, starting with Catherine, can you let us know who you are, where you work, how long you've been in the profession, those sorts of things, and Ryan, follow her up. Absolutely. Um, hi, everyone. Catherine Souza, Associate Director of College Counseling at Archmere Academy in the great state of Delaware. Um, so it is an independent day school um, Catholic, uh, just to give you a little bit of an idea of the um, school environment. Um, I have been in admissions for and counseling for about 10 years now. My background is in um, college admissions. I've worked at four different institutions of varying different types and sizes, um, but I am in my sixth going on seventh school year as of next um, August at Archmere. Um, I've been involved in PACAC pretty much all of that time. I was encouraged by my first boss, who's now my current boss, Chris Bohm, to get involved um, and found myself drawn to the Professional Development Committee and have done quite a few things. Um, one of the, or the two biggest being um, being a co-coordinator for the mainline workshops, um, as well as being on the Summer Institute faculty, but I've also presented at some of the other programs as well as held a webinar. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Ryan Janos. Um, I'm the Associate Director of Admission at Villanova University. Um, I've been in admissions about 12 years, um, splitting my time between Villanova and um, my alma mater, Gettysburg College. Um, I've been in PACAC similar to Catherine about that time, um, and I've also been very involved with professional development. Uh, we've had similar paths um, in the association. I've I've also coordinated mainline workshops, was part of the Summer Institute faculty. Um, I am currently in my final year um, as the co-chair of the Professional Development Committee. Um, And again, just very excited to be here. So thank you, Jeremy. No problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, As I mentioned, not only were you two people that immediately came to my mind when I was just even creating the podcast, I said, I have to have Catherine on at some point. I have to have Ryan on (laughs) at some point. But especially with this topic, because as we have gotten to know each other through our involvement in PACAC, the Pennsylvania Association for College Admissions Counseling, around the time that we got to know each other, both of you were already in the midst of your graduate school experience. So it was interesting for me to observe that kind of from an outsider looking in and to see that there were definite benefits to pursuing it uh, during the time that you've been, you know, also working full time, but it also was challenging. 
in a lot of ways. So I wanted to have just an open conversation about what people can experience as they pursue uh, their master's degree or pursue grad school as a whole uh, while they work into the profession. Um, The first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was what were some of the things that you think a counselor should contemplate when thinking about grad school? I think first and foremost is, you know, very generally, do you want to pursue a higher degree, right? Do you want to continue your education? Um, You know, some people after they graduate from college say, you know what, I need a break, right? I might want to pursue a higher degree in the future, but um, I can't go to school anymore. Um, Others are the exact opposite and they feel, well, you know what, I'm I've been doing this for the past, um, you know, 15, 18 years, you know, and I might as well just sort of keep rolling with it. So um, I think the biggest question is, you know, do you want to pursue a a higher degree? Um, And and being able to answer that question will help you determine, you know, sort of what works for you moving forward. I think one of the things that goes along with that, if you have determined that pursuing that is of interest to you, really thinking about your three, four, five-year plan, depending on what program you're going to be doing and how quickly you can get through it. Um, I took one class per term, which was uh, spring, summer, fall, um, and it took me four years uh, just under because I doubled up one um, semester to be able to finish in that sort of May timeframe rather than an August timeframe. Um, And so you really have to think about what is on my agenda for the next four or five years um, and do I have the time to commit? If I don't have four or five years, can I handle doing two classes at one time um, to get through it a little bit faster? That will lead us though to the next point, which is about the funding side of it. So I was very, very fortunate to be funded by my school, but I was funded at a certain pace and up to a certain amount of dollars. So that really um, did in kind of, decide how quickly or slowly I had to do my program. So I had to get special permission for that one semester that I wanted to double up. Um, Otherwise, that was the rate at which they would support me. Um, And I certainly understand why institutions do that, but it is an influence. If you are paying for it for yourself, um, you might be able to do it faster, but that's also more money out of pocket from you if you are getting tuition remission from a school, if you're in a in a college setting, right? They may have different requirements of what you can do and how much tuition you can um, get discounted in a certain year. And, and Ryan, you probably have a little more in terms of taking it at your specific institution. Um, but I really thought about it. I did one year at my school before I started and I knew it's because I didn't want to keep pushing it down. I knew this was something that I wanted to do and I was looking four years in the future and thinking I want to get started. Um, The other side of it is also thinking about if your school is going to pay for it, like-minded, if they're going to have some, uh, any years of service that you owe to them in exchange for your program. So I was uh, I'm still bound um, currently because I just finished my program in May mm. um, through a year of service, um, which is actually very short in my opinion. I think there are other institutions that do longer, um, but I owed them a year of service. So it wasn't just a four-year plan. It was really what does five years from now look like for me. Was that something that you knew upfront, Catherine, or was that something you learned later? Like how readily was that information available for you to realize, wait a minute, I have a commitment to my institution after I complete my program? Yeah. So I definitely didn't know it when I was choosing my job per se, but when I started to evaluate this and have conversations with both my um, supervisor uh, in my office, as well as my principal, it came up as part of it um, because we, while we're supported, we do have to actually kind of like apply essentially within um, to the principal to make sure there's enough funding. Because if all 40 faculty members at one time wanted to do this, there wouldn't be enough funding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's part of it too. Um, but he was pretty honest. It's also being at a secondary school. Uh, I find a yearly contract and it is in my yearly contract every year um, that I owe a year of service. And it is also in my yearly contract how much money they have given me towards my education. So it was really easy to see that number that I would owe if I wanted to not stay for the year um, afterwards. That's good to know. If I might, I think it's important um, just to surmise what Catherine's saying that it's really important to do your research, right? To understand what expectations there might be, not just from the program, but from your place of employment, if you do choose to do this, right, while while you're working. Um, I think for Catherine and I, we were both very fortunate to have very supportive 
schools, um, supervisors, right, directors um, that saw the value in in doing this, right? And so I think, again, we were very fortunate in that regard. That might not be the case for everybody. Um, In my experience, um, differing from Catherine, I was not bound um, to a certain commitment after I finished the program. Um, When I finished, however, I I didn't feel that I wanted to leave, right? But, Mm. But I was not bound by any particular um, contract partly because I'm, I don't sign the contract, you know, where, where I work. Right. So I think it's doing the research, understanding the program, understanding the, the benefits. Um, and this might require a quick phone call to, you know, human resources department, just to understand, um, again, what the expectations are, um, for you, um, and maybe what you should expect from, from your institution. You know, I, I chose to, um, do my program because a big part of it was a I wanted to, but also because my institution was going to fund fund that right, and so I think that's a huge benefit um, of being able to pursue a higher degree while you're working, particularly if that institution will um, support it monetarily. Now, when you began thinking about going to grad school and you're having these conversations with your yourself in your own head. What's my three, four, five-year projection? Did you come across this option naturally, or did you feel like there were some folks who were applying uh, maybe even a little bit of pressure to start to evaluate it? And, and the reason why I asked that is when I was asked this question, when my coworker came to me and said, hey, where are you going for grad school? What are you doing for grad school? I almost felt pressured. And I, at that point in time, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do this long term, right? Working admissions. I had no idea to even establish that three, four or five year plan at that point. So when the two of you realized, hey, this is something that I'm going to do, was that something you arrived at yourself or was this something that you felt others were encouraging you or even pressuring you to do? I think for me, it was a combination of things. So going back to my way, way background in terms of what I went to school for, I actually went to school to be a history teacher. And so it was always embedded in me that in order to convert my uh, temporary cert to a permanent one, I would have to take classes. I also had my eye on being a vice principal or principal potentially even as a teacher right well well excuse us (laughs) (laughs) um and so there was always this idea to me that I would go back to school in some way I also um you know was a teacher's pet that was my senior superlative and I was a (laughs) I was a student and so um I think those things for me were really natural but I think I was also encouraged early on by mentors. I don't think I was pressured at all, but I think I was encouraged by mentors early on to consider this, um, both at institutions where it was an opportunity for me and at institutions where it wasn't an opportunity for me. So my first school that I worked for did not have um, really a master's program that would be applicable to me. There was really only like one or two like an HR and something else. Um, my next institution had several different ones. The culture at that next institution of a lot of people in our office having done master's programs there. Mm. So again, it was an encouragement for me rather than a pressure combined with some of my own desire and just expectation that I would somehow end up in school again. Okay. Yeah. And for me, I, I also agree. There was no, I didn't feel pressure. Um, and I, I'm one that I started my graduate program, you know, four years after I graduated um, undergrad. And so those first couple of years when I started working, I honestly didn't think about it at all. Right. I was just, I was enjoying my position, the job. It was great. Um, and as I was going into my third year um, during the travel season, obviously, which is a big part of, of the admission lifestyle, um, I realized that I, I really enjoyed visiting high schools and connecting with students and counselors. And I thought, huh, like I might want to pursue um, you know, college counseling at some point in the future. And that was all that I had thought about. Um, and as I started to do more research, I realized, you know, while maybe it's not required everywhere to have a higher degree, um, it would be really beneficial and valuable to do so. And so I started thinking about it. Um, and as I started asking questions, um, my colleagues in the office were very supportive of, oh, you should think about this. Here was my experience. Talk to this person, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, again, for me, definitely wasn't pressure. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it came from it, came to it on my own, um, but had a lot of support from those that have um, pursued graduate degrees in the past for me to 
to do it. Um, and again, and as I was transitioning from Gettysburg to Villanova, uh, again, very fortunate that they offered master's degree programs in fields that were applicable to what I was thinking ab- about um, yeah. and pursued it from there. So Ryan pursued a degree in school counseling. Uh, Catherine, what particular program did you select to, to do? So I don't know if any of either of you actually know this. I uh, actually initially started an MBA program at Lehigh before I left. Oh, didn't know that. I didn't, I did not know I that. didn't even make it through my first class. Um, and I think it was a really good example of maybe doing what you think you should do versus mm. doing what you're actually interested in. So I, at the time, had not planned on leaving admissions. And I thought, well, an MBA and the marketing and all of this would be really incredibly valuable. Um, But I had to take an intro accounting class because I was not a business degree in um, college. And that accounting class uh, came to a terrible end in a hotel room in Miami while I was in the middle of travel season, uh, just trying to do balance sheets and absolutely hating my life and realizing that I'm not interested in business. And while marketing in theory sounds really great to me, um, it's not actually great to me (laughs) in, in actuality. And so I put it down and it ended up working out because then, uh, about seven or eight months later ended up changing. Um, and then was thinking about it from the secondary side. Um, I did look at some different programs and some different prices and those different types of things. So in the end, I landed on an educational leadership program um, through St. Joe's, which was if you were a public school teacher, you could end up with a principal cert, a curriculum director cert, as well as a um, special education um, coordinator cert, depending on what classes you took within. Um, I chose to do mine without any sort of certification. So I didn't have a practicum associated with it. It was just the coursework. Um, And I think it ended up being a great program for me. But I think one of the things that's hard on the secondary side is if you don't want to go sort of traditional school counseling route, um, which includes a lot more than the college side of things for a person like me that is really only interested in the college counseling side of it, there are only limited, there's only a certain number of options, right? But educational leadership is what I ended up choosing, um, again, based on school and based a little bit on cost. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, And and my program, again, just to to show a little bit of a difference with, you know, counseling and human relations was sort of like the umbrella title. And then a student could focus on the school track or the sort of mental health side. And so I, I opted right for that school counseling track again, because of my interests um, in potentially working on the high school side. Um, And one thing that people really need to know, which is really important and why you should do your research is that my program had required practicums and internships, right? I had to do a certain number of hours um, in order to complete my program, which the experience was incredibly valuable. Um, but man, it, it, it takes some time, right? You really have to have the support of, of your office, um, to be able to do that. So I, I can't echo enough the importance of doing your research and understanding your program in its totality. Um, I don't know that I really understood the magnitude of a 600 hour mm. internship. Mm. Um, again, looking back, I'm, I'm very glad that that I did it, um, but it was it was challenging during during that year. Yeah, I remember Ryan seeing you, and it was nice to cross paths with you because you were doing it at one of the high schools that I would visit as a Penn State representative. But I could tell it was taking its toll on you a little bit when your skin color changed. <laughs> you were you were a little grayish. Uh, <laughs> we were a little concerned. Uh, we we you didn't know we had a group text message uh, chain, and we would be like, "Hey, has anybody seen Ryan? Is he okay? He Thank looked a little gray." I thought. <laughs> Maybe I needed to go to the eye doctor. I thought maybe my prescription was out of date, but no, that was your actual color. So talk to me a little bit about the balance now. Okay, you've selected the program. You know you have a supportive office, but you're still expected to do your job. And Catherine, as a a college counselor at a college prep high school um, with great students, wonderful students. I've enjoyed working with them the last two years, but you know, they have expectations and needs and mm-hmm. Ryan at a very competitive university. I mean, everybody is, is, has Villanova, especially if you live in Pennsylvania, everybody's got it at least on their list of schools to look at. And I think, you know, two national championships in recent years has not hurt that. 
Um, I haven't appreciated it, but you know, <laughs> others you'll, have you'll come around soon. You'll come around soon. <laughs> I mean, at least the colors are blue and white. I'm going to give you that. Right. Okay. But talk to me about what it's like to balance working full time with grad school. Some of the things you learned early that you needed to do to, to strike that proper balance. And then were there times that you had to talk to your supervisors about helping you find a better balance? I think the first question that might influence this, and Ryan, you can share what you did. Um, I took the majority of my classes online with two of my classes in person. So that was a really the what was required and what was necessary for balance was different based on the types of course that I took. I think, Ryan, you did most of yours in or all of them in person. All of them except for one was Whoa. in person. So this was, I am incredibly envious of the opportunity that you had to do that. Um, so again, g- going back to what I said, important to do your research because, um, yes, most of my classes, again, all of them but one, were in person. Um, as you know, working in admission requires a significant amount of travel, right, particularly in the fall and then, you know, some weeks in the spring as well, which take you away from campus, right? And so um, I was very fortunate um, and was able to work with my professors in my graduate program that allowed me from time to time to um, Skype in right to, to a class um, which was very beneficial if I couldn't get back from um, Washington DC, right? Which is where I spend a lot of, of my time. Um, so yeah, so most of my, my classes were in, in person um, and those first couple of years were, were tough, right? Because a lot of times I was, driving back and forth from Maryland um, on a Tuesday or Thursday night to get to class because that was what I was expected to do. Um, And did I do it? I did. Uh, Was it challenging? It was, right? And so um, I think it's important to have a support system, be it your family, your friends, um, your colleagues, your your director, um, who you can go to to talk about some of these things, Um, particularly because I was one of the probably only people one of the very few people in my program that did it part-time. Um, mm-hmm. The program that I did um, was much more uh, filled with students who did it full-time. And mm-hmm. so I was, there were cohorts that were coming and going um, before I was even done with my second year of the program, right? Because I was taking, like Catherine mentioned, one, two classes at a time because we have jobs to do. Right. And so, um, it it was difficult at first because of the travel piece. Um, and then I got it right. Then I was able to work with professors and I felt good about it. And, um, and I felt that I was able to balance everything and and I thought I was in a good place. Um, and then we came to the internship, um, again, a 600 hour internship for me, it was, you know, one full academic year. And all I can say is, um, I'm so thankful for, um, my support system at Villanova um, that helped me get through that, right? Because yeah. they allowed me to, you know, come into work a little bit late. Um, if I had to go to the high school to get my internship hours, or I would go to the school first thing in the morning, come back and then read a full, you know, caseload of application files. And so, you know, sometimes I was working on 12 hour days, right? And at the time was really difficult, but Again, the take-home message is that I, I made it through, and yeah. um, I think if I can make it through that, you all can make it through your programs too. Oh, look at that encouragement coming out of Ryan Janos right Ryan. now. That's that's um, great. Find the positive. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say too. I think um, in an online setting, it definitely made some of the flexibility easier, mm. but it also made you a lot more accountable for making the time that you needed to get your work done without being in a classroom setting, right? So there was a lot more that you had to do on your own time to review and prep um, and just had to make sure that you came up with a system or structure. And for me, often that was just, you know, weekend time, given that I had other things um, during the week. Um, My program was really different. My program was filled with pretty much entirely part-time people, but all teachers that weren't traveling, that didn't have just in general too, the subject matter that I had to contribute was very different. Um, but again, I did have a background in education, so it made it somewhat easier. Someone that might not have had a background in education might have struggled a little more in my particular program. Um, but I do think that's the one thing about online um, that you really have to structure yourself a little more. Yeah. I also think that if you're looking for any sort of community 
within your program, the online is the way to find that. Um, I, I did a discussion boards, right? Um, I would write and respond to discussions, but I didn't had never met any of these people for the most part um, and really didn't interact. There weren't, there were some group projects, but not a ton of them. Um, and those were all done again over um, the phone or over Zoom or other things because we were all sort of off on our own. Um, I was also driving when I did have my two in-person classes over 45 minutes to get to my classes. And mm. so again, that was support from my office to be able to leave early on those days. Um, and I did like Ryan have to coordinate with some professors when I was doing those in-person classes and did have, um, travel like yeah. NACAC, for example, um, having to coordinate that. Uh, the other thing is I had to spend time in my summer. Right. Well, and that's the only way I got it done in four years. If I didn't want to take classes over the summer, um, I, I would have had to be there for like six years, which I definitely <laughs> wasn't doing. So there's just some things that you have to know and really push yourself. And that's why it's important to figure out why you're doing this yeah. to make sure that those days when it becomes really hard to keep pushing, that you have a reason um, to do that. And like Ryan said, really coming up with support system of people, um, whether they're in programs themselves. I know Ryan and I would <laughs> definitely commiserate often <laughs> um, or other people that just are there to support you and want the best for you. So what, were the benefits that you feel like you took out of being in those programs? Like with Ryan being in a school counseling department for 600 hours, what were some of the benefits or lessons learned just in the practical application, basically of the theory that you had been learning in the classroom and seeing what a school counselor's day-to-day operation was like, how did that experience benefit you as a professional? Yeah, I think, you know, just seeing it live, right, was was really helpful, right? And I say it generally because, um, you know, what you could read about theories and have discussions for hours, right, in the classroom, but until you actually are in a hallway, in an office, you know, observing a meeting, um, it, it doesn't really all click, right, until then. So I think, yes, the 600 hours was a lot, um, but... Um, so incredibly valuable um, to allow me to see the ins and outs of of how a high school, you know, school counseling office operates. And I'll tell you, it is different day to day, hour to hour, right? Because you never know um, what what to expect. And and no doubt Catherine can um, chime in, you know, about her experiences in in a high school as well. But the the schools that I was in, everything was different day to day. The, The needs from one student to the next, the needs from, um, right, the the principal and the vice principals, um, and even the directors of of you know support services at the the district level. Right, I mean, I was sort of part of all of these conversations, and so to see all that in practice was um, was awesome. I, I got to meet with students, I got to teach classes, um, you know, with some of our um, our, our PACAC colleagues, yeah. right, that we know and, and and call friends. So again, I was very fortunate that I was able to do an internship with people that, that I knew, um, and they were my so supervisors for the program. And, and they allowed me, you know, in on their conversations, again, with families, with students, um, you know, with their superiors. And so just to see it all live was, um, what was incredible. I was very thankful for it to be done in the spring, <laughs> right? I, I, I learned a lot, but was ready to, um, to hang up that, the, the internship hat for a bit. But, mm-hmm. but again, but I know that it really was, um, of value to me. What about you, Catherine? Um, yeah, so I think one of the things, and you you hinted at it a little bit very early on about if you want to be in an independent school, um, serving as a college counselor, how helpful a master's degree can be. And some people are probably thinking, well, which master's degree? Mm. Um, and, and I'm a little cynical on this, and I'll sort of admit that. Um, yeah. I find that most often it's just the fact that you have a master's mm. um, and it's an, uh, it's an opportunity to showcase to your families that you've hired someone who has spent four years getting a master's, right? Um, and being kind of uh, academically qualified or driven enough, right? Whatever you want to make kind of assumptions based on the fact that they have that master's, but it is very rarely when you look at an independent school um, that they, uh, job posting that they list of specific masters that they're looking yes. for. Um, yep. They definitely have specific um, experience they want you to have, whether on the um, high school side or in a college admissions, selective, not, you know, those different types of things. But the master's is a little bit more for just uh, title, right, okay. to be able to say that. Um, and so one of the things that I think 
I did my best, but there were definitely times where the program was not super applicable to me. And I tried to work with my faculty members as often as I could. Um, but part of it was it's a Pennsylvania certification-based program, right? I had predominantly public school counselors in the room with me, um, and more than half of them were from the Philadelphia School District. Um, so about as far of an experience as you can get from probably what I was experiencing on a day-to-day -day and even job environments, anything like that. Um, but for example, when we talked about testing and different things, I thought about the SAT, right? And I thought about that June SAT that part of the scores had gotten messed up and, and I was like, oh, I get it now or things like that. Um, but I do think sort of similar to Ryan in gaining an appreciation um, for people um, in a different role, it helped me gain an even better and deeper appreciation for my principal, for my director of academics and for teachers because mm. I was seeing and doing things that they were required to do. So I had to make lesson plans. I had to do things. Um, I did find one of the most helpful parts of my program um, was um, regarding culturally responsive teaching slash counseling, yes. right? I, so I made it more into the counseling, um, but that was particularly helpful for me. And I have, as both of you know, really used that um, information at um, different conferences, summer institute, things like that. Yeah. Um, but there is a sense of having a strong imagination and ability to connect things that maybe don't on the surface connect to make it a little bit more applicable. So you're not doing a program that just feels like you're not gaining anything. Um, and even though I don't know that I had any, no, there were none, uh, no lessons that were directly sort of like, here's how you counsel better. Here's how you um, do these things. There were things I could take from that program and still um, put them into my daily work. And certainly some things when it comes to supervising in the future, if I were to ever become a director, um, there was a human resources, there was, um, again, those more principal style classes, if you will, would certainly come in handy. But on a day-to-day, -day, I had to use some imagination to make some connections to what I was doing. Yeah, and and I've seen the benefit just in the two things you guys mentioned. I've seen it on the outside looking in because, Catherine, you referenced it. But that work and that understanding you had about culturally responsive counseling really benefited us with the Summer Institute. And that was something that our attendees had provided us with a lot of feedback on. They were like, oh my God, that was one of my favorite sessions. And as as somebody, a fellow faculty member in the room with you, I agreed with that. I was like, this is amazing. And it was so neat when talking to you about the program to see that that had come out of your graduate work. So that was neat. Mm -hmm. And and I've even seen it with Ryan too, as you know, I talked to some of the counselors that work with you in, in your territory and, you know, are always trying to figure out like, okay, what went into Villanova decisions this year and all those types of things. You know, they've always commented that you have a, a wonderful, wonderful way about helping counselors understand practically like what went in to decision-making and you've been a great partner and education for them. So I just want to let you know that we've seen it too from the outside looking in. We've seen how these two programs have really benefited the both of you. Now, what do you wish having successfully navigated your programs on your own, the, the other side now, what do you wish you would have known going in to grad school? So I'm going to approach this a, a little bit differently. So I, again, I was very fortunate that a, a colleague and friend of mine um, was near the end of the same program that, that I embarked on um, when I was thinking about it. And so she sat me down um, and, and told me sort of A to Z sort of what I should expect. Um, and so for anyone that's thinking about um, starting a, a graduate program, um, be it at your institution or, or somewhere else, if you can identify um, a friend um, or a professor can put you in touch with someone that's in the program or has done the program and to sit down and just sort of to ask those, you know, 21 questions um, about what to expect, um, no holds barred, um, it will be extremely valuable to you. Um, and so again, I was very lucky that, that I had uh, Melanie um, to be able to share all of those things with me. So when I went in, I had an understanding of, of what to expect. Yes, things come up all the time. Like, okay, I wasn't anticipating that or, you know, this is harder you know, than I thought, but I had a great foundation um, that prepared me for that. You know, so best piece of advice is find someone that's either done the program 
or is currently in the program you're thinking about, um, take them to lunch or coffee and, and ask all your questions beforehand um, because it will be really helpful in the long run. Thank you, Melanie. One of Penn State's finest, by the way, just had to put that in there. Uh, what about you, uh, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I almost got to do it again, right? So what do you wish you had known? Well, the first time around when I was in a hotel room crying over balance sheets, right? <laughs> I wish I had known that you should really be pursuing something that you enjoy. Never in my life had I been a math person. I was a history major, right? I was in education. So I wish I had not felt the pressure to do something that just looked right or seemed right, but had maybe um, been something I thought I would be more interested in and would have enjoyed um, more. Because like I said, even though a lot of my program in the end didn't directly relate to my job, I like education. I like thinking about students. I like thinking about the way we develop curriculum and other things um, and was able to bring some of those things back to Archmere unrelated from my job as we went through accreditations and things like that. So I wish I had not put that pressure on myself to pick what I thought was right versus what I wanted. Um, I also, again, it ended up working out for me and my timing. um, But I wish I had known that or what I would tell others is once you make the decision, get going. Um, If I had waited another year or two years, I would have been worried about buying a home and planning a wedding and doing all these things that I'm really super, super happy. I don't have to juggle with graduate school. Um, So really just not limiting yourself, not waiting, um, because also in terms of being able to have prospects afterwards, the longer, particularly if you're getting any sort of reimbursement or remission from your school, the longer you're tied to that place. And if you're excited and want to move up or on for any reason, um, the sooner you get started, the sooner in theory you'd have access to to put your master's into work, to get that promotion that you were really hoping for at your own institution or whatever it might be. So really just not kind of resting on your laurels once you make the decision um, and the research. I had a panic about halfway through the program. One of my colleagues who's a school counselor mentioned something about comps. And I was like, do I have these? And I did all this panicked research and thankfully it ended up I didn't. But it was one of those things that I hadn't known. I knew I didn't have to do practical uh, practicum hours. Um, but I was like, oh my God, do I have to take these kind of like comprehensive exams or as they're called comps? And thankfully I didn't, but mm-hmm. I didn't do that research ahead of time. So Ryan, well, again, comps? yeah, I definitely had comps like in the practice, but again, like I, but I knew all this going into it, right? That's the point. Like uh, Melanie really, you know, shared all these things, you know, with me. So I, I knew that that was coming at the end of the program. Um, and I just really want to echo Catherine's point about, you know, not resting on your laurels. Um, mm. And when you're in the program, just sticking with it, right? Yeah. Um, when you do it part-time, again, depending on your institution, and if you're getting reimbursement um, for tuition, you may only be able to take one, or two classes at a time, but at any point, I mean, you could choose to to not take a class in a particular semester, which again then just makes it longer at the back end. And so, if if you could avoid doing that, and we know life comes up and there are extenuating circumstances, but if you can just sort of put the pedal to the metal, put your head down and get it done, um, I'm I'm so thankful that I was that I did that, and then I I also took classes over the summer, um, and again was able to do it in four years. Um, for those that do my program full-time, it's a two-year program um, all through the summer as well. Um, and I was able to basically double it and do it in four. Um, other people I know that did it part-time, you know, sometimes took them five or six years because they took a summer off or a fall off. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I have the opportunity to to keep going. And so again, I just want to echo that um, once, you're, once you're starting the program, just to, to stick with Keep yeah. the routine yeah. going. Momentum. Keep the, Momentum. the balance. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny how sometimes what we experience in adulthood mirrors so much what we kind of went through as we were prospective students, right? And occasionally students will sit down with me and say, well, what do you think about a gap year? And I know, Catherine, I know you're receiving that question quite a lot when students are doing their junior meetings and things of that nature. But I'll never forget a piece of advice I heard from somebody from the the University of Delaware. We were on a, a college panel one night, and I'm so sorry I forget her name, but she talked about the reasons not only to do it, but the reasons why not to do it. And one of the reasons uh, she went against the gap year, she said, you don't want to find yourself outside of the practice of education. 
And so that mirrors so much what you talked about. You know, yes, you could take a semester off if you feel like you need a break, but then you get out of the practice of education. And and gearing yourself back up to continue your program might be even harder at that point. So that's that's great advice. So my my final question to the two of you as it relates to this subject, what do you do with all that free time? Now that your program is over, how did like what did you did you need to find another hobby or did life just sort of suck up that free time anyway? I mean, for me, um when when that internship was over and I graduated. Um, it sort of took a, a couple months, maybe that summer for things to really sink in. Um, and it wasn't really until the following fall that I was on the road, right. Traveling. I forget where I was. Maybe I was in Annapolis or I was in DC. Um, and it was after a long day of visits that, you know, I wasn't logging in, um, to Skype into class or I wasn't opening up that paper that I was working on. And I realized, my God, it's over. Right. And yeah. so, you know, took time to, you know, do the things that I enjoyed doing beforehand. Right. I mean, knowing that, yes, I was still in a full-time job. And so that work, right. Fills in the gaps of, of the free time. Um, it was more just the, the weight lifted off my shoulders. I was very proud of myself that I did it, but was so thankful to have any free time to read a book or watch a TV show, take a walk, right. That a year before, I wasn't doing because I thought, you know what, I really should write this paper or I really do need to, you know, talk to my partner about this project. Um, So again, it was, it was an amazing feeling, um, but it took me a few months for it to really sink in. For any of you that are strength finders, people, uh, my top two are achiever and learner. So (laughs) it should be a surprise to no one. I took the summer off uh, and then I got a part-time reading job for school uh, and I jumped into a, a a volunteer position with the college board and got into some more involvement with things like summer Institute. So I sort of used that time and channeled it to continue to professionally develop in other ways. Um, Great that some of them were paid. That was exciting, (laughs) certainly. Um, But I did kind of just channel that time to be used for some other things while I still could again, while my life still afforded me the opportunity to pick up a part-time reading job or to do something like the college board. Um, So I, you know, kept up with my learning and achieving um, (laughs) uh, strengths. This is the part of our conversation where we transitioned to talking about counseling students in the midst of COVID-19. So I want to ask um, the two of you something that's kind of unrelated, but it just popped up in, into my mind right now because we're having this conversation in midst of a pandemic, right? COVID-19 has really started to play a bigger role in the world of college admission counseling. And I just thought while I have you on the line to ask somebody who's a college counselor in a secondary school and somebody else who's in admission, you know, Catherine, how are you um, helping your students through this time and, and figuring out what the, not only the rest of their senior year may look like, but what their fall prospects may be looking like as they, you know, have looked to this time with such um, anticipation for so long. What kind of conversations are you having with your students right now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think seniors, sorry guys, uh, traditionally right now are a little bit more hands-off as they get their final decisions and then would transition in the month of April to being a little bit more engaged with us. And that's somewhat continued right now, but Chris and I are both really um, discussing ways to reach out to them more, sort of more intrusive counseling, if you will, rather than just waiting for them to come to us. Um, We usually do what's called college coffees from 7.30 to 8 before school starts, and we bring in donuts, and we bring in coffee, Um, and we're actually going to try it in a Zoom setting and really don't know how it's going to work, but think it'll be a nice opportunity for us to see some of the students, for them to see each other, uh, BYOC, bring your own coffee, right? Um, So trying to do something to engage and be available for questions, and just so that they know that we're still here. Again, I am still getting some emails from students. I did Zoom with the senior uh, yesterday. I had some specific questions, but I think we're really trying to think 
very much about pushing ourselves in a little bit more when it comes to that intrusive sort of counseling um, and looking with uh, without an idea of when this is over, how to start celebrating seniors. Uh, we would traditionally hold a huge May 1 celebration. Um, not sure if we'll be in school on May 1. And now with so many colleges but not all of them shifting to June one. There's now this yeah. dichotomy of when some of our students may know and when others may not. Mm. Um, so there's that side of it as well, but we are really trying to be as available to students as we can. Um, <clears throat> juniors have been a little bit more, again, kind of carrying on like we would right now. We are meeting individually with parents and students as we would have in the class uh, in school. So we're doing zoom meetings. Um, we have, put a temporary hold on our junior seminar class, but we'll be picking that up next week. Um, but again, very different. We used to have nine different classes throughout their schedules and it's a lot more standardized now. So there'll be classes of about 30 students or so, which yeah. will be a very different dynamic. Uh, we've also done FAQs, email communication, right? I think what's interesting is that Right now, from my experience, the juniors and their parents have more questions that have not yet been answered for good reason, because there's a lot more unknown and colleges are really focused on seniors, whereas I feel like my seniors don't have as many questions and are really just um, mourning or having grief over what would have been this really exciting time for them. Um, and so it, the ones that want answers, I don't have them. And the ones that don't really have questions... I do have some information, go tour on a virtual setting. Schools are doing admitted student programs that they're streaming, right? There are ways, but it's not necessarily just the lack of information, but it's the lack of excitement of going on that mm. campus, that, that feeling that all three of us know you can't really replace, right? But we're asking a whole class of students to, to essentially replace, right? Um, so those are the types of conversations and the things that we're doing, again, individual and as sort of larger groups while also recognizing that our students are trying to get used to this new normal of going to school online. Our, we have, we're full steam ahead, right, in terms yeah. of our coursework, in terms of our classes. So it's trying to recognize that while we're an important part, um, they have uh, a ton of other responsibilities and just need a mental break. I find myself needing a mental break more than I usually do yeah. um, given circumstances. So that's sort of what, what it's like from my perspective at this point. So with Villanova, Ryan, you guys just released your decisions just a few weeks ago. So are you starting to hear from students who are concerned about whether or not they'll have a fall semester or how do they make a decision if they haven't been to campus? Yeah, so I think I've not heard of anyone that's concerned about the fall just okay. yet. Um, it, it's a lot more students just wondering, you know, I, I can't get to campus, right? So I can't come for, you know, any admitted student programming. What, what do I do? And so, you know, we're working hard to try to, you know, create those wonderful, awesome, exciting, energetic, right, admitted student programs. Um, and putting them on some sort of virtual platform, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, um, Jeremy, no doubt that, you know, you guys are talking about these things too, and all yeah. colleges likely, you know, how do we take a program um, that's on campus, um, but allow someone to, to view it virtually? And so it's been yeah. difficult. Um, we have a great, like, events team, you know, that's being really creative to try to, you know, add these programs online, you know, with the help and support of our academic colleges and deans and other, you know, departments on campus. Um, we know that, like in Catherine, like you mentioned, you can't really replace right, a physical visit. Um, but mm -hmm. I know we and hopefully many colleges are going to do the best that we can um, mm -hmm. for students, right, and for yeah. seniors to help them make decisions. You know, as we're getting emails, you know, we're doing our best to to let people know that, you know, the Villanova community is, you know, here for them and, and is alive and well. Um, and even though we can't get them physically on campus, we're going to do everything that we can um, to get them there, you know, so they have, you know, a really great experience come the fall. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, one of the, the big messages, sorry, Jeremy, no that we're telling students is to control what you can control, right? Yeah. And right now we can't control when colleges open them back up, when Archmere opens back up, if they're going to get to a campus, um, when they can get to it, when we talk about juniors, is it going to be in the summer? Is it going to be in the fall? Um, and to focus on the things that you can and engaging with colleges in different ways, reaching out for help when you need it. Um, but it's a really hard thing to learn as a 16 or 17 year old while you're also trapped in your home, right? Yeah. With your siblings and your parents and hopefully an animal or two. But that's one of the biggest things I think we're trying, really trying to help students like remind them. Um, and that I don't know any more than they do, right? Because they're yeah. used to coming and I don't know if you feel the same way, Ryan, but, or Jeremy, but 
I'm getting a lot of questions and especially very early on, like right when the SAT was starting to cancel things and the ACT. And it was like, do you know this? Do you know that? And it's like, I felt like I was just getting like a deluge of questions because they're so used to coming to us. And I'm like, I may be an expert in college admissions, but I am not an expert in college admissions in times of COVID, right? 19. And so that was sort of, I think as a professional, important to remind yourself of that too. Like you can't control the ACT or the SAT. You can't control which colleges go back to June one and which ones don't write. And really to just sort of like um, manage that for yourself as well. Uh, I like to know things and I like to be able to share that with people. And there's a lot that I can't know either. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as I think about your Archmere students and the challenges they're facing, and even Ryan, by extension, your Villanova students, if any of them come across this particular conversation, I think one of the pieces of advice I would give to them is just come to Penn State. I mean, we, we already know that you would have an, uh, an amazing experience. The proof is in the pudding. Why risk it? Why chance it, students? So if, if any of you Archmere or Villanova students or any students at large, if you come across this particular podcast, know that Penn State will have you. How's that? You, you can't see my large eye roll, <laughs> but know that it's there, everybody. Yeah. Know that it is there. Well, I appreciate you, you nodding. Cut that out, Jeremy. No, that's <laughs> staying in. That, that's staying in the conversation. People need to know. People need to know. Well, thank you to Catherine Souza and Ryan Janos for sitting down with me and having this conversation. Hopefully those of you listening to the podcast feel like you have a better idea of how to balance grad school and counseling. Uh, So thanks to you guys. And uh, I'll see you soon, hopefully. This was yeah. a blast. Thank yeah, you, Jeremy. Great You're doing chat. a great job. We're so proud of you. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's it, the official ranking right now is my mother, my father, and then the two of you. You're the only ones who are, are proud oh, of you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. We'll be in touch, guys. Thanks. Bye, Thanks. guys. Thank you. Thanks. A big thank you once again to Catherine Souza and Ryan Janos for coming on the podcast today. The Branching Out podcast will return in just a few days with the next topic, admissions pros and parents navigating the college search journey with your own child. This one features Josh Ditsky, Director of College Counseling at Berks Catholic High School, and Krista Evans, Director of Admission at Kutztown University. You can find me online at any time on Twitter and Instagram at jbranchpsu and on email at any time at branchingoutpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. Give us five stars if you're so inclined. And I will see you on the next episode of Branching Out.